one of my early critiques of permaculture was I felt like, like, yo, you know, you're not really giving the indigenous um, cultures enough, enough calor, as we would say, enough love. Even though a swale might make sense or an access road might be, make sense, you don't want to just run roughshod over the generations that were before you here. I mean, in my design process with people, I operate off intuition an incredible amount. And I never really thought about it until I started listening to your podcast. And I was like, oh. Well, hey, everybody. Greetings to you and welcome back to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast with myself, your host, Dan Palmer, bringing you today a conversation that emerged really organically and spontaneously after Laura Adams from Seven Winds LLC, a design landscaping company based in Maryland on the east coast of the US, made a comment on the last episode that episode was me and the Making Permaculture Stronger Developmental Community exploring the distinction between systems thinking and what I was calling field thinking and how often what we think of as cutting-edge systems thinking, if you look into it, it defaults back to the same old reductionist mechanism that um, it's a supposed alternative to. Anyway, Laura made a great comment and in part um, she touched on the idea that uh, every land scape every every place has its own spirit and i was touched by the comment and found it intriguing and, and reached out to laura and the upshot was we booked in a, a zoom a conversation on zoom a week or so later which became this episode so huge thanks to laura you can look up laura's website at sevenwindsllc.com and i will also in the show notes at makingpermaculturestronger.net include laura's initial comment and also some of the subsequent comments Laura sent through an email and, and a, a few photos including one of her husband's gravesite which she speaks to so beautifully in our conversation enjoy the chat thanks again uh, for for Laura for emerging out of the universe and participating really welcome your energies and looking forward to staying in touch and by the way if any of you feel inclined to support this project your Support is massively welcome and, and helps me to c continue creating conversations like this, as well as writing podcasts and working on the book and so on. Um, you can do so at makingpermaculturestronger.net slash support. And I'll catch you, my lovely listeners, in the next episode. Take care out there in this crazy old world till then. I'm delighted here to be in conversation with Laura, who's calling in from Maryland on the east coast of the U.S., and I'm connected with Laura because Laura left, sent me a lovely email commenting on the most recent podcast episode about systems thinking and field thinking. And just it was just such a rich email that I was I, I was I suggested catching up and you kindly agreed to. So it's so great to to be in conversation. I'd love to hear about you and your relationship with permaculture and the whole the whole lot. Okay, okay. So um, I've been aware of permaculture for many, many years. I think probably dating back to some time I spent as a student in Australia, actually in Melbourne. Um, and there was a lot of talk about permaculture and I saw some permaculture gardens, which struck me deeply because of their wildness. And that's what really like pulled me in and appealed to me as this, you know, ability to grow fruit and things in the forest, basically on the edges of the forest and the wildness of the garden was really what, what appealed. But fast forward from that, um, probably the most momentous event that occurred in my life 
was meeting the person who would become my husband, but I did not meet him in that capacity, of course. Um, but I was invited to a purification lodge. For people who don't know purification lodge, that's more commonly known as a sweat lodge. Okay. Um, and I was definitely looking for a deeper understanding of life at the time. So I absolutely agreed to go. And it was a very profound experience. And I returned to sit with him because he was a medicine man and a diviner. And I asked him to do a reading for me. So and from that, it went on and I was initiated into his tradition. Okay, which is a, a Taino Congo tradition. Now he, he comes from Borinquen, the island of Borinquen which is in the Caribbean, that's otherwise known as Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. okay? But he had migrated with his family to New York City at three years old and had grown up inside of what he calls the belly of the beast. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's how I connected and was initiated into his traditions. And that turned my world completely, I mean, talk about an earthquake or even more. It was like totally changed the world from one side to the the other. Oh, oh. Um, and we, you know, as the time progressed, he, we, he was renting a place at the time. And he said, we really need to get some land. We need some land so we can have some ceremonial space. So we have some space so we can don't have to worry about anyone telling us what we can or can't do on our own land. Um, and he had a beautiful place on the river at the time. And, and that place, he had it so beautiful. The spirit there was was really gorgeous. Hmm. Um, but, you know, we understood we needed to find land. And to get land, we're living in a place in Maryland that's it's not cheap. It is not cheap at all. And so what we did was um, we did some real estate investment. And this was at a time where I had I had graduated from university with a degree in biology. Mm -hmm. But it had not appealed to me to follow that. And I was doing things like organic gardening, working on a biodynamic dairy farm, traveling, those kind of things. So when I met him, I was kind of really just open to anything. Um, and land, of course, I always had a connection to the earth and to lands. Hmm. And so we embarked on this process. And in 2005, we got the land we have today um, and started to work that not just spiritually, which is really important, but also agriculturally in, in different regards. At different times, we had horses here. We've had, we have goats. Now we have sheep. We have chickens, pigeons, uh, all kinds of animals, mm -hmm. llama, alpaca, you name it. Um, and in 2004, he had been gifted uh, Bill Mollison's big, huge permaculture design manual. And I read it at that time, but there was so much information in it. It was like, whoa, like I could grasp some basic things like the zoning made complete sense, um, edges, you know, cultivating the edges, all those kind of things. And so we incorporated a lot of that, but not kind of with the overarching picture you get when you actually do a course. So, you know, as the years pass, we've done a tremendous amount here. We've done a tremendous amount. And his, he really was very, very good at um, working spiritually with the land. And this land has a very interesting history, just this land that we're on right here, as well as the greater land around us. Mm -hmm. And in terms of reading landscape um, and reading the spirit of the land, um, he was really good at that. 
And you'll notice I'm talking about him in the past tense because two years ago coming up, he passed. Oh, I'm so sorry um, to hear that. Well, he was much older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had had a very difficult life in terms of like, he lit, he was taken from boarding gang into the South Bronx of New York city at a time when it was unbelievable. The conditions were unbelievable. Hmm. Um, so he would always tell me like, you know, I'm not going to live to be an old man. And of course I wanted to argue with him, but nonetheless, he was correct. And over the years, we'd always talked about creating a burial ground on our land. And in the County we're at here in Maryland, we are able to do that. So we had it zoned and we had it marked out Mm -hmm. and actually we completed it the summer before he passed. And I remember having this feeling like, I hope this doesn't mean anything. You know, I hope it was almost like a premonition, but he left the way he wanted to. And he always said, when it's my time, I want the ancestors to come and take me. And they did. It was a, it was a heart. It was an aortic um, dissection. And it was like that. It was like that. And so I found myself um, with my kids, 15. Well, at the time she was 13 and seven with 50 acres of land here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, needing to really step up. Now, I've been his assistant all these years working with spiritual things, um, doing teaching circles. He used to do a lot of ceremonies, a lot of teaching circles. Um, and I had to step up in that spiritual aspect as well as still maintain everything else around here. Mm-hmm. And so he had found um, Jeff Lawton's PDC online prior to that. And we almost did it together, I think in 2019, early 2019. I'm so glad we did it because like the conversations we had that last year were really profound. And I don't know what it was, but we just, we kept having these really deep conversations that year, just sitting and and just talking. Right. Um, So I'm so glad I wasn't putting the energy into the course at that time, Mm -hmm. but coming out of like that, I said, okay, you know, a whole year had passed. And I said, okay, it's time to take this PDC because I really need to know how to work with this land in a way that I'm not going to make myself crazy. Like just, just the kind of promise that permaculture gives you of, of less maintenance, you know, and works like crazy out here. And, but we also have a business. We have a business that started out as a stonemasonry business. So in terms of what you were talking about the other week, space Mm. we are very good at space because we're always making patios walls like verticals vertical things like pergolas trellises we also do deck fences all these aspects of space and then back in uh, 2006 we enlarged it to include more carpentry um, and the landscaping aspect so you have you have a landscaping business you go out and do um, stuff in private residences and yeah it's a I install and I do everything myself, Wow! everything. Wow. So I go in, talk to the person, we'll, we'll talk, we'll come to a design. Yep. Um, and because it's just me and I'm the one actually doing the work, there's maximum flexibility. Yep. So very often things will change once we've embarked on the design. Mm-hmm. Very, very often. Someone will have an idea or a possibility will arise. And we do things that are that are ecologically grounded, such as rain gardens. Rain gardens are huge here. And in the city, people are a little hesitant to get into too much food because in the city, there's a tremendous, huge rat problem. Huh. It's not very nice. You know, it, it's one of those things that people go, eh, 
let's stick with they do like things for the birds like blueberries so okay. there will that's kind of like a, a way to get people going and very often um if you can get people start on some blueberry plants or like a fruit tree before you know it they've fallen back in love with their garden and so like for me like as a designer it's for me to to help someone fall in love with their garden mm-hmm. and and when i see someone suddenly getting into the different plants and they'll pull me back. Like, what about this plant here? Or could we put this plant there? That for me is where I truly get the most joy out of what I do is that, that love aspect and that connecting people with you, whatever minuscule way it is. Uh Uh, But that's on a professional level. And really I went to take the permaculture course because, Hey, we've got 50 acres here. I got 50 acres here. We've got sheep. We're really always focused on um, the soil fertility. And also there's four building lots. We built our own house on one of them. Mm-hmm. But so this, the, the vision for this is it's a, it's a generational land space. And I, I migrated from England as a child to Pennsylvania, which is right next door to Maryland. Mm-hmm. And my husband migrated from, from the island of Boning Gang to New York. So we had we came from two different islands to this massive landmass mm-hmm. continent, and you know, and that's a big that's a big jump for your spirit to take when you're moving across an ocean like that. Um, and I think we both like needed to get to know the land here. Even though I'd grown up here since one years old, riding horses out in the forest and things like that, mm-hmm. there was still a getting to know the land that you find yourself on. And while, you know, we're both migrants, he's indigenous to the Caribbean, right? I can say I'm indigenous to England or Europe in general, because it's a bunch of different European. um, But now we're here on an indigenous territory here, connecting with not just the indigenous ancestry here, but we also have the last 500, 400 years here of multiple other waves of people coming through. And so you probably want to, in terms of indigenous um, spirituality um, or indigenous culture and permaculture, right? I just wanna say first that I found the course like absolutely amazing, like ultra comprehensive. This course has gone on for 30 weeks you can ask as many questions as you want. There's TAs to answer. I mean, the the bulk of knowledge and uh, and wisdom you can get from the course is unbelievable. And it really, like, I got it. I got it in terms of where should a pond go, like how to work with the fertility cycles, the pasture cycles, the forest cycles, how to work with a regenerating forest, gardens, and so on. So that was, wow, that was really, really good. But of course the course doesn't touch upon other dimensions of what we're focused on here, which is namely the spiritual energy of the actual land. So to go back into the roots of the tradition, we've got Congo from Africa and Taino from Boringeng. Okay. And the Caribbean islands in general, but Taino from Boringeng. And the Congo from Africa was brought as enslaved people to the Caribbean. Okay. The Taino in the Caribbean, like all indigenous people had a oneness with the earth. 
that was, I don't even think we can really grasp it with our modern brains. Mm, yeah. You know, like the hurricane is a spirit. Huracan. Actually, the word hurricane comes from, that's your cyclones over there. The huracan is a spirit. And the petroglyph for the huracan actually looks like when you look down with a satellite view on the hurricane, the petroglyph right. mimics mm-hmm. that, which, I, which is just incredible. The mythology is all about like the hurricane season when you're not supposed to go out in your canoe and do fishing in the deep ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, kinds of mythology and stories about that. And they connect to stars. So the stars on the horizon, time not to go on big, long fishing trips because the Taino were as comfortable on the ocean as on the land. So these canoes could carry a hundred people from one island to the next, probably much like the Polynesian islands too. Um, So, and Ata Bay, Ata Bay is mother earth and Ata Bay has multiple names, Mamona, which has to do with the fertility of mother earth, Ieya, which has to do with the oceans, right? We Mako, which is the fertile frog woman that has to do with fertility. And, and um, like the Pleiades have to do with fertility, as in many cultures around the world, the Pleiades have to do with fertility, with mm-hmm. child, with children, with the fertility of the earth and all these things. And then the Congo coming in had their um, cosmology. And what they found with the Taino was a resonance there. There was a resonance and there was an incorporation of each other's traditions. Now, you're also talking about 500 years of colonization. Uh-huh. And not just colonization, then you had the American colonization over the last 120 years, which was extremely devastating to the island's ecology. So we have all that coming in. And one of my early critiques of permaculture was I felt like, like yo, you know, you're not really giving the indigenous um, cultures enough, enough calor, as we would say, enough love, like a, little bit more credit, a little bit more love would, would go a long way, right? Because after all, you take the Chinampa, as we all know, the most effective uh, system in the world is now being kind of reintroduced, although it's not that simple to kind of make it happen. I remember um, being enthralled by Jeff's sketches of Chinampas. <laughs> Firstly, yeah, and it was, part, it was also part of that kind of... Um, not glamorization, but you know, like you've got the boat there yeah, and, and the mul- mulberries yeah. with the grapes and you know, all that yeah. stuff that, yeah, that um, in reality is, <laughs> is um, an well, epic amount of effort and all that. <laughs> Can I just mention yeah. too, I just wanted to just to kind of exciting the amount of ground you've covered already. And there's so many rich threads and I'd love mm-hmm. to, to have you keep going, but it's, it's feeling like we're converging towards this, this space of um, permaculture by and large has had a functional focus and it sounds like you appreciated a lot of those aspects on the pdc you did with with jeff and a big part of your world and worldview is about the spiritual indigenous cosmologies you're sharing with us and so on and i'm really curious and as you know those are often labeled as as not appropriate or too too fluffy or you know whatever Um, and i'm really interested in exploring the evolution of our design process understandings in a way that deeply honors you know, the value of both of those and authentically reconciles them in a way that gives us a really rigorous um, and powerful and practical process that's also yeah. able to acknowledge the fact that land has spirit and, you know, and being and so on. So I'd love, yeah. I'd love to hear you just riff and share more on that. So go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll tell you a little bit about the story of the land that we're on here as mm-hmm. just, it, this is an example mm-hmm. and you can take 
wherever you need to. But this land here was um, farmed. It was at one point, it was a plantation. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, people should know a plantation was where there was a slave master and there were slaves, enslaved people. Okay. Not a nice, not a nice period of the history here. Mm. But there's actually an old building that we thought was just an old agricultural building until one of our neighbors told us, oh, that was that that was where enslaved people lived. And we were like, whoa, mm. you know, um, so that's on the land here over right adjacent to our land, because our land is part of a bigger farm. There's a cemetery. OK, and that is full of of the freed. It was the slave masters in there. And then the freed enslaved people who became sharecroppers and so on are also up in that cemetery and people are still being buried in that cemetery hmm. because there's, there's a church associated with it. Now, here's an example of reading landscape that if you don't understand the cultural meaning, you just won't get it. If you go into the cemetery there and there's, there are tons of them in this area, you will see these little gray stones, very humble. You will always see evergreen trees. And you will always see the yucca filamentosa. That's the, um, it's a real spiky plant. Um, the African kind of uh, phenotype that looks like it is the dracaena. So in Africa, the dracaena is used as boundary plants to demarc a boundary of, of like someone's lot. It's also used by the grave to, for protection. The people here took the yucca plant and plant it by the grave for protecting the spirit. That is a direct lineage from Africa to here that you can see. You can actually go and see that. Now, that you don't see it on newer graves, but you do see it on the older graves. And usually that might be the first thing you see. And in the, in the June, it gets this white flower. It has a stalk, a long stalk and a white flower. And, and one of the names for it is like ghosts in the summer or something like that, um, because it has a very ghosty look to it. But that's an example of reading landscape. If you see one of these plants, you have to think, was this an entryway somewhere? Is this, this potentially a burial ground where they didn't have the money to put stones for people? Um, that's a really good example. There was different house sites here, so which are gone. They're gone. And you might see a whole bunch of daffodils coming up. Why are all these daffodils randomly in this forest or in this field? It's because someone lived there. And these are markers you can see, but if you don't get the knowledge, you might overlook them. And what you might do is you might just throw a swale right through your daffodils and <laughs> disrupt the spirit that's there. Okay, you can, there's springs, this land has a lot of springs, and one of the springs in the, in the bottom there, it looks like it was developed. It really looks like it was developed at one time, and it's just down the hill from that foundation of, that was um, enslaved people. So chances are that was the spring where they were getting their water. Um, there's also an old road that goes through here. Now, someone who doesn't know to look for it is not going to see it at this point but it used to go all the way down to the mill at the bottom. Um, and we did have four old, old men came down the road looking for it when we first moved here. They remembered the road going through and, and we were like, now it ends at our house now, <laughs> basically. But those are kind of things that even if I had, like thought on paper, like a swale should go right through here, I would not disturb that road. 
I wouldn't do it because there's a flow of spirits that go up and down that road. And here we get down to like this basic comprehension of like, here we are, we're here having a human experience. We're alive. We can see ourselves. We can, we can taste, we can touch. And at some point we're going to die. Our body's going to die. Our body's going to become soil and our bones are going to, are going to be resting in the soil. Um, but do we die? Do we die? Do we suddenly, or do, are we suddenly jetted to this distant place called heaven or hell, depending on our behavior, I guess. But those ideas, like they don't, they don't, they don't make any sense inside an indigenous reality. And from a, from a viewpoint of someone that's educated scientifically, but never quite was satisfied with it, it doesn't make a lot of sense anyway. So if you're thinking about people who are buried here, like my husband is buried here, right? If someone would disturb that grave, that would be a huge, um, that could bring a big chaos onto the whole land here. And for indigenous people, these are realities. This is not just a, a nice way to think about it or like a woo-woo story. This is a reality. That's where his bones are. That's where his bones are. And when I die, that's where my bones are being. And I tell my kids that all the time, whether they like to hear it or not, because it's like, hey, we have to have a reality. There's a tree where my son's placenta is buried. Okay. There's a stone where my daughter's placenta is buried. Okay. So, so our blood has gone in here. Right. And as we work and, and we get, you know, scratched up by thorns or what have you, sweat, blood falls on the earth here. Those are connections with the earth that are really, really sacred. And so you don't want to, even though a swale might make sense or an access road might be, make sense, you don't want to just run roughshod over the generations that were before you here. Thanks a lot. So many beautiful examples there, diving into reading landscape and the different layers and, and like with the daffodils and, and the yucca, is it yucca? The yucca, yucca yeah. filamenta. Yeah, yeah, you know, like like using them as tracks or traces of the past, and not just what happened biologically or ecologically, but 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 how what happened culturally, and and what that signifies and means, and how those are very real layers that are there to be to develop the discernment to perceive, and and then we can honour those, like you say, and res and resist that urge to jump in and impose our our clever design solutions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and likewise with I think most permaculture people have a sensitivity to like beautiful trees. Mm, yeah. Um so they'll oh there's this beautiful oak, let me leave it or this beautiful poplar or you know. Um so that's a good thing that there's that built-in sensitivity to that, but there's also, you know, certain trees that you really shouldn't disturb even if it's where you might want to build a house. And other times, yeah, go ahead and take out those trees. There's no problem here. Mhm. Mm so it's the the landscape is layers of biological life and geological life and weather you know the weather the the cosmic energies the weather meteorological energies but it's also layers of human story that's woven into the landscape and i feel like as live as people who are living with bodies right now we 
tendency, and it's also kind of fed by this kind of Western arrogance, but we have the tendency to think that it's all about us. Um, but we really, and permaculture does a good job of thinking about the future generations. Um, but we also should be also thinking about the past generations as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I really think there's nothing worse than a settler coming into some place and just violating the indigenous spirit of the place, which, you know, if it's done in ignorance, Hey, it's done in ignorance, you know, um, things like the way that people came, the Europeans came into this continent was atrocious. It was completely atrocious, um, very damaging. And we've got that history all inside of the landscape as much as the, the kind of um, plant life that you're looking at or the, you know, the terrain and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then to take it to another level, the terrain itself is, it itself is an ancestor. The terrain itself. Um, the, if you look into the evolution of life, we're talking about a rock, right? We're talking about an ocean. We're talking about basic forms of biology kind of coming out of the ocean onto the rock and starting to make soil and things like that. When indigenous perception, the rock itself is a spirit. It's an ancestor. We have no idea what kind of, um, that's like the bone of an ancestor, right? And we have so many layers of bones on the earth that we're walking across every day. But life itself is an ancestor. All the plants are ancestors, especially you take like a plant like horsetail, equisetum. That's a primordial plant or a plant like the ginkgo tree. That's an ancient, ancient tree. That tree was here long before we were, you know, and it's kind of as the newcomers on this earth, there's a terrible arrogance that has gone on with, I think, the evolution of technology, I think, has and, and the kind of um, access to fossil fuels, especially has given us like this inflated idea of our own power. But really, the fossil fuel that is ancestral power. That's, that's ancient trees that have broken down and their plant oils are now what we're mining out, we're drilling out. Mm -hmm. um, no regard for the fact that that's ancient, that's ancient life. That's ancient ancestors that we're using. And in, to a great extent, we're taking what we would see as an ancestral blessing and completely misusing it. Completely. You take like a gallon, four, five gallons of diesel fuel in a... Um, you know, like a, a machine, you can get yourself a pond. How great is that? You know, like that's amazing, right? That's what we should be using this stuff for. Not, not bombing people out, out to obliteration and, and destroying infrastructure and, and destroying people's lives. Like that's a true abuse of ancestral blessings. Um, and I guess in some ways, what are, I, I love permaculture. I think it, it's really... In terms of design, it's got it going on. It's really got it going on. It's got the basic structure in place, your understanding of water, your understanding of slope, all this other stuff. But in terms of fully connecting with the earth, it takes what the person learning permaculture is bringing to it. Like it's not something explicitly taught by permaculture. It's what you bring to it 
as a spirit having a human experience, as a descendant of all your ancestors who are absolutely involved in what you're doing right now. Yeah. Right. So one basic acknowledgement that that we make is like when I'm talking to you, I'm not just talking to Dan. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to all your ancestors and all the different spirits that have gathered around you, all the different spirits, maybe of people who passed um, in permaculture that are like, hey, this guy's doing an interesting podcast. Check this out. You know, people that kind of did some of the early kind of like um, uh, like Larry Korn is someone that springs to mind. That was one thing my husband found for me. He found an online PDC for free. It was terrible quality video. And stuff. <laughs> most of the time, but it was Larry Korn doing it. And Larry Korn had, you know, studied with uh, Fukuoka. Yeah. 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 And so that was like, I, I just was like, man, Larry's cool. Like, Larry's so sensitive. He's so much more sensitive than a lot of the people that are just like, yeah, we can get these gadgets and we can use technology and we can make everything convenient for us. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. But Larry really, for me, brought like the, the, the sensitivity and the spiritual dimension. Um, and now he's an ancestor. Uh-huh. You know, he's an ancestor. Um, and he should have a participation in our ongoing conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, we, when we acknowledge each other's ancestors, we are dealing with a whole much more wealth of knowledge. You know, from wherever your ancestors came from, where my ancestors came from, what different lands, the different migrations that have occurred mm-hmm. over the last four or five hundred years has been incredible. I mean, we're all jumbled up totally. in a lot of ways. We're all yeah, yeah. yeah. It, here, here in Aotearoa, in the Maori tradition, you you always introduce your the, the land you came from, the waka your people came from, you, you, your ancestors come first, and then you, int- you introduce yourself, your own name at the very end. And then that traditional greeting of, of the hongi, of yeah. touching foreheads, part of which <clears throat> my understanding is about my ancestors getting to, to engage. Touch with yeah. 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 Well, this is, this is all super fascinating. It's really helpful for me. I've, I've, I, I'm really appreciating your, your sharing this and, and then, because a lot of my work and what I'm, I mean, you, you said for you, permaculture's got it, got it going on with design. And for me, permaculture's got it going on with a lot of things. Um, and and for me, it has the potential to have it going on a lot more with design process. And part of what I mean by that is taking steps in, the, in, in some of the directions that you're alluding to. And that's something I'm enjoying doing. And and I try I try and make it really accessible for the, for the fact that most of my audience is, is, has been socialized in a colonized mechanical consumerist reductionist etc society mm-hmm. but i thought it can totally be done you know and and for some people hearing this hearing some of the things you're sharing it's just too it's too much they're like what the hell you know a rock is a bone is it you know all that all that stuff <laughs> whereas it, whereas the reality is there are energetic layers to to a landscape and things you can start to notice and, and feel in your body as well and part of this is is about the distinction yeah. between uh, rationally dissecting or analyzing or diagnosing a landscape which is has heaps of value mm-hmm, and, sure. sim- and simply feeling it you know and and, and 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 acknowledging the fact that you can engage with a place or a person or whatever kind of preconceptually or be- before you start to, to chop it up and and kind of mm-hmm. ask your questions and all and all that stuff and and feeling has to come to the fore there and there are things that any human being with the body can feel that you can agree on and can be quite objective about that increase the quality of your process 
And so I'm, 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 it's, it's, it's lovely to be in dialogue with, with folks exploring that in different ways. And for me, always wanting to come back to the bridge, to making, making it accessible and getting across there's, there's something really important here, you know, that permaculture would ignore at its, at its peril. And, it, and it, what we're talking about is it, it, it's big in that it involves an evolution, a shift in, at the level of worldview and paradigm and, and whatnot. And yet, it still it still can be done incrementally, and and can be at, like I say, like it can be as if not more rigorous and more honest and more encompassing of all of human experience and all the rest than than it is if we limit ourselves to our analytical, rational, you know, step by step procedures. Absolutely, yeah. I've I've given a lot of thought to the human brain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we're we have this consciousness of you know, ourselves and life, our interrelationship with life. And, but we're reliant on a human brain to actually like figure out stuff. So as a baby coming in, like we're just seeing colors and sounds and all these things. And someone tells us that's a, that's a door. That's mom, that's dad. You know, this is this, this is that. And we have to have that process of that brain development in order to function on the earth. And so like with permaculture, the function part is really good. It's very intellectual. It's very, um, I wouldn't necessarily say intellectual, but it's very brain oriented. Like, okay, you can figure these things out. They're pretty simple. They're pretty basic. Um, and then you can play with that and see where you can take it. You know, probably, you know, playing with the plants is probably what really gets people probably going the most. But, um, but one thing that, we understand is that your whole body is a receptor your whole body and if you just stay in your brain you're missing out on what's beyond your brain like when you go to sleep at night you have dreams right those dreams can have all kinds of really bizarre things could happen very clear things can happen they might be a premonition right they might give you an idea for something But if you think about a dream, you're like, where the heck is that coming from? It's coming from a deeper part of yourself, right? And it's it's in a language of symbology. And we're actually living inside a world, a universe that's full of symbols, full of symbols. There's meaning behind so many different things. You know, the animal coming through past us, that has a whole meaning behind it. And a lot of it's not hard to figure out if you just do your research and do your observation come to understand that animal. Why is that animal doing what it's doing? What's that telling us about what's going on in this landscape? What's that telling us about the patterns of the animals moving through, like the deer, we have deer here. The deer moving through the landscape, they have their cycle. They have like their daily routine where they go around. They have where they nest. They have all these different things associated with them that it's not something that you have to get too profound with But I think when you start to just open yourself up and say, hey, you know what? My brain doesn't know everything. You know, I I really think that kind of this brain down approach is not it. Look where it's gotten us. Yeah. Yeah. To say brain down as as opposed to like body up or something. Yeah. Like you're like the thing inside of you, you could call it intuition. Um, and you know, some people operate on intuition a lot, a lot. I mean, in my design process with people, I operate off intuition an incredible amount. 
And I never really thought about it until I started listening to your podcast. And I was like, oh, because I'm realizing all these things I do, like just, I just do them. I never thought about it. I never planned it. I never learned a design process. I just designed from inside myself. And I, I could design the same kind of, of garden for someone and go with completely different plants. Because it's like, there's an intuition where I know this person is going to like these plants, like these plants are going to speak to this person. And I rarely get it wrong. Like most of the time, oh, I love this plant. And it's like this and it's like that. And it's not coming from any kind of brain, like, oh, this kind of plant, this is how you do it. And this is how you, what you arrange it with. It's not coming from that. It's, it's an intuitive process. And tapping into that intuition, I think is, well, for me, it's vital in what I do is vital in the design and the work that I do. Intuitively understanding who I'm talking to, feeling them out, you know, feeling out like, what is it that has meaning for this person? And it's intuitive. It's not a mental, it's not an intellectual or mental exercise. Mm-hmm. It's just I have a conversation with them. I talk about different ideas. I look at their responses and I just, it just comes out. And I'll often ask them like, what kind of place in nature do you like? Right. I'm doing a design for someone. It's a it's a whole plan of her whole yard because seven trees were cut down because they were dangerous or something. Um, And it was heartbreaking to them because they had felt like they lived in a forest glen. Um, And so now there's this wide open yard. It's lost its magic because they took out the trees. And she's asking me, like, hey, bring the magic back, (laughs) you know. And so it's going to be for me to create to design something. That's going to that's going to bring that forest back, that feel of a forest, because that's what she wants. That's what her husband wants. Right. Someone else might want to have this like more of a vista. They want to have that space. They need to have space to feel um, peaceful mentally. Right now, that would fly in the face of permaculture, where there's usually a lot of busy stuff going on. It could be, a, especially in a smaller lot, there's a lot of busy stuff. You have your herb spiral. You're this, you're, you're <laughs> How else can we cram in here? Yeah, yeah. One more yeah. chicken tractor. Yeah, there can be a bit of that for sure. That's not going to work for all people because there's something about their, their spirit that wants to see space. And we shouldn't judge that and be like, oh, well, you know, mm. you should be growing food all over this place. No, you've got to get someone what their spirit wants. Yeah, you, you spoke earlier, and this is one of the threads I'm, I'm glad we've arrived back here, your experience working with others and, and supporting their processes about, about supporting people to fall in love with their gardens again and fall back in love with the world of plants and maybe get get off, get out of the technosphere a little bit. And what one way I think about it when I work as a as a as a design resource to others is supporting people to fall back in love with the process of developing their own space you know their own habitat and and that's that's what i'm going for everything is in service of that and when when we achieve that and they they've built some capacity and confidence and whatever that's when i can start to back away knowing that they're going to hold the process moving forward and i'd love to hear your your thoughts on that too yeah yeah i'm often brought in to do these whole garden you know there's tens of thousands of backyards in the city that have been um, really abandoned for years some of them are just concrete, honestly, you know, people move in and they say, we want a garden, you know, especially in the city, you need that, you need that breath of life that comes from plants. Um, so I'll do the whole garden space and people will want a plan. And often I will steer them away from it. 
I will steer them away from it. And I'll say, okay, let's first talk about how do you want to use this space? How do you want to use this space? Do you like to barbecue? Barbecue is huge here. Everyone likes to barbecue, right? So you got to have the patio for the barbecue. So we're going to design that in. We're going to do the patio. It has to be accessible to the kitchen. Where does the flow of people go? Where do you take your trash out? All this stuff, right? We get that first like living space, that place where people are going to sit. Because one of the most important things in a garden is where are you going to sit? I don't think permaculture design courses talk about that, but where are you going to sit? Where's that place near your door, near your door where you could get home from work really tired. You don't want to take a big, long walk out to your stream or your, or your, or your forest, but where are you going to sit and watch the evening roll in? Or where are you going to sit and watch the morning roll in? You know, um, that's, that's the, the starting place, right? And then we're going to start with some plants. Then are we going to create a little place in the back where you could have a fire pit, you know, with a, with more intimate setting with trees around it, kind of little grove in the back of your yard? Or do you have do you have kids that need to play? They need space to play. They're going to be riding their little bikes around and things like that. So it's it is I prefer an organic process of being able to re- receive feedback immediately, and those are the best designs because. Um, there's a magic that evolves. Mm-hmm. There's a magic that evolves as you, and I, my favorite is to work with the same garden over a period of years. And budget wise, that works for people a lot of the time. You know, it's like, okay, I can afford, let's get some hardscaping in, let's get a patio in, let's get, get some trees planted. And then I'll come back, okay, now we're going to do some other things. Yeah. Oh, how about a riverbed through here? What, what are we going to do? How about a rain garden, right? And it evolves. And that's, you know, there's no way you can put together a sophisticated garden for someone who is not going to be a gardener. Yeah. Is a process of they actually have to become a gardener in the process of you installing that garden. Fully, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, even say you can't really put you can't put together deeply a, a sophisticated system with living complexity. You can create something with mechanical sure complications. But sure. with, a, with an upfront sure. plan, right, that itself has to evolve, let alone sure. the fact that the capacity of the people you're working with to be in love with the garden and, and, and to sort of relearn the process of like, wow, I can do this. I can grow stuff. I can make decisions and I can go and dig yeah. a hole and put a tree in myself. I don't need to call Laura on this occasion or whatever it is. And I want yeah. to say I, 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 my spine t- started to tingle as you were speaking because the, the process you're talking about was was a living a process that had life in it you know i read i read a quote recently that i really loved it was about in the living world um form or um tissue grows around energy flows where the energy flows and as you were speaking it was really clear that that was your approach to design as as imaging or mapping or or observing immersing in where where does the energy flow where does it want to flow where are we going to create that cup of tea spot where do you where do you take the trash out and so on and then letting the tissue of the garden you know the plants and hardscaping actually be be revealed and and emerge there's a beautiful quote from um christopher alexander he talks about the lived experience of this kind of design as as a being gradually emerging from the mist and i know that won't Mm -hmm. that'll be a very Mm -hmm. that'll be a very familiar idea for you because that's what you're talking about right yeah yes yes you're you're actually in in some ways we have um in our tradition we make um, different things that are their embodiments of a spirit. And they're really as like a doorway or an a into the invisible, the non, non-material aspect of life, which, you know, if you want to get scientific, just go to physics. 
physics is always going, oh, well, we, we didn't know, but there's this whole another level of reality here, you know? So, um, you know, there is, there's an energy that you put together and suddenly it is a spirit. Suddenly it's a being, right? Suddenly it's, it's its own unique thing with its own unique expression and it's all in harmony. It's an entity that now is working together as we are. Like we, we are not just Dan or Laura. We're all our microbes, right? We're all the bacteria on our skin. We're all this, we're like at least 50% something else. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Like, and like this idea, I, I think of a healthy processes as an organizing process in the sense of bringing organs or br- like bringing organs into yeah. being where an organ is a, is a, is a harmoniously contributing aspect of a larger whole. And that's what you're talking about. That's that's the being or the spirit that can emerge out of a healthy process like this. It's not just a really clever mechanical assemblage of clever design solutions that, you know, functions well, but doesn't actually have any life or real flow to it. And, and, and yeah. yet what we're talking about can be intensely functional as well, like the human body, you yeah. know, like there's there's this yeah. phenomenal complexity of interconnected cells and, every, and everything else. Yeah. Well, if you think about indigenous traditions, there's this romanticization that goes on about indigenous traditions as if it's some kind of like strange and there's certain kind of words you've got to say and language you got to speak. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Right. It's not like that. It is absolutely practical. These are absolutely practical concepts that meant the difference between living and not living. Hmm. You know, you're talking about, you know, even today we can reflect living without electricity, living without metal, living without machinery, living without fossil fuel. How many of us could actually pull that off? Yet hundreds of millions of people have been doing it for, for millions of years, pulling it off. Like they know something we don't. They have a capacity we did lose along the way. So, you know, maybe we need to understand the concepts more and not allow our minds, our, our brains, I would say, because I make a distinction between a mind and a brain. Like your mind is like your whole consciousness and your brain is the, the, the material element that it has to somehow function through. And your brain cannot understand the true nature of reality. Your brain cannot understand the true nature of reality. And I think when we accept that, we open ourselves more to infinity. And that's actually something I have heard Jeff say numerous times. You've got to get comfortable with infinity. Because mm-hmm. he'll throw these little things out there, right? He'll throw them out there, but he doesn't want to like, he doesn't want to make it about part of the course. But he'll throw them out there and you know that he knows. Like he know he has a deeper connection in a way that is not anything to do with rainwater harvesting. <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with a whale. That doesn't have anything to do with how you build your house so it, it it heats itself and cools itself and all that good stuff, right? There there's something that when you start to work the process, you should come to. So Penny Livingstone Stark on who had a flashback from something she said on podcast once is that we don't. She was saying we, we, we stick to the, for her, she sticks to the curriculum, to the manual and all that. But, but the reality mm-hmm. is you'd have to be a piece of cardboard not to feel you know, some of these 
the spirit coming through, the energy is coming through. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And and you know the, and then I also think about the spirit behind permaculture itself. You've got you've got um, Bill Mollison and you've got David Holmgren, right? Now Bill was the the elder, the teacher, the mentor, um, and David was a young man at the time when this whole thing kind of like took a form. And we would see that's a spirit for us. That's a spirit. That is a spirit that said, okay, you guys need a solution and I'm going to bring it through these two guys. Okay. We're going to, this, this particular combination of these two people, their ancestors on this particular piece of land at this particular time gave birth to something. Uh It gave birth to something. And one of the things I really appreciate was like Bill's subversiveness. Like, I love the way he's so subversive. Like he, he's, he's raw and I, there, you know, people have all kinds of critiques about him and this and that, but he's so subversive in his thinking. Cause he's like, I'm not going to copyright this. I'm not going to copyright this. I'm not going to tell say who can teach it or who, re-. well, he says, if you should be a graduate of the, this or that, which really became quite vague as to what that was, but Hey, anyone can use this. Anyone can use this term. And in a, in a time where everything's copyrighted, everything's patented, you know, everything's controlled. It's like, damn, that's, that's awesome. Like, I appreciate that. Yeah. Now, did it create a lot of chaos? Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I have part of making permaculture stronger is about acknowledging permaculture's weaknesses. And I have my um, critiques of aspects of Bill's work. But I've just been reminded recently, look at some YouTubes of old PDCs of his, that how, how, how brilliant he was. What a profound, deep thinker <laughs> and a radical thinker and, and a subversive yeah. and abrasive <laughs> personality and all the rest yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and, yeah and, it would be hard to have someone like him in today's world. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. His, a lot of his jokes would not to be too no. well received. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fully. Hey, well, Laura, I've got to, I've got to um, run off, and we've got an appointment in, in town a little bit. Um, but I feel like this is the beginning of a conversation. It's been really fun to connect. I'm so glad you you reached out initially and and it's awesome to di- just sort of dive into your world and hear about the land and the indigenous um uh traditions that have informed who you are and your practice and your husband and and the fact you're actually working professionally as well and and experiencing a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff so i'm so i'm so happy to be connected and thank you so much for sharing so freely and openly of yourself well yes and you know i found your podcast because i'm taking the course and i'm like getting over i'm getting really loaded with this information i was like okay let me let me hear from some of the people out there doing this. Like, let me, let me see what people are saying. And I found Scott Mann's podcast. So I listened to some of his stuff and uh, then I found yours and I was like, Oh, interesting. Okay. Making it stronger. All right. And I really appreciated that you're, you're looking for this somewhat intangible connection because it's like, where does the physical and the non-physical meet? And you're dancing right at that edge um, in, you know, also the Carol, Carol Stanford. Stanford, yeah. And the, and the regeneration rather than like, you know, just arresting disorder and things like that mm. and doing good mm. cause a lot of, and things like that. That is like, you're, you're, you're right at the edge of something and it can be very difficult to articulate that um, without like kind of sounding like you're off the edge. Yeah especially in this domain that is very like, well, if you can't prove it, you know, you're an idiot or whatever, totally. you know, yeah, I've had to, I've had to create, I've, I've realized over time I've had to create a safe 
incubation space for a lot of this experimentation and initially share it with people that are receptive and supportive and happy to um, accept the fact that it's not it's not done or finished or polished. It's still you know it's vague and amorphous and in places it's weak. But I'm so excited yeah. that it's 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 more than strong enough that the work is culminated and and it, it, it has enough um, internal rigor and strength now to be shared and so I'm working on books and stuff and yeah but there's yeah. there's, there's yeah. a time like in any process of just pr- pr- projecting the, the vulnerable fragile seedling as it emerges from the seed yeah. and supporting it to get to that point where it can kind of it can it can withstand the the the, the weather yeah. and all that you know yeah yeah <laughs> you're always gonna have people that are gonna over here we say haters you know you always oh. have people that are gonna and um oh you know whatever critiques criticism but um yeah i definitely respect what you're doing and i'm going to continue to engage it um yeah i appreciate it i found it a unique voice inside of what i was hearing on these podcasts Mm -hmm. because a lot of the other are more about like functionality like you know stuff like that and it's like okay i got the function part already like that's not all that difficult to figure out um, but what about this deeper like energy where you actually really connect? Mm. Mm. That's harder to quantify. In fact, you can't quantify it. Mm. You're, mm. you're grasping for something that as soon as you grasp it, it's out of your grasp. Yeah. So yeah. you can't grasp. You got to let it. Oh, it's, yeah. it's been talking to you. It's been great talking to you. Um, and yeah, let me know what you want to do with this. Yeah, Sweet. yeah, yeah. And keep up the good work. You're, 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 um, you're definitely making a, a unique contribution. Thank you. It's, a, it's. I'm touched to 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 have someone like you um, feel that way. So I'll keep going. <laughs>